we hope that's the way everybody feels tonight. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of Ephesians again. Ephesians chapter number 1. We pick up where we left off this morning, actually, in verse number 15. Ephesians 1 and verse number 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. The prayer actually goes on down through verse number 23, and this is the first of two prayers in this letter. Actually, in the Greek, this is one long sentence, and if there is a key phrase to all of this, it's found, I believe, in verse 17 in these words where Paul says, in the knowledge of him. We'll talk about that more later. But Paul is literally saying here that you may know him better, and this brief prayer is a vast storehouse of precious truth. In the first part of the chapter, you'll remember, Paul has been speaking about who we are and what we have in Christ. And I don't know any thought that could possibly occupy our mind that would be greater than that. But now Paul is praying for them. That tells me that just giving out information is never Enough. Everything we do ought to be done with prayer. Every sermon that is preached, every lesson that is taught, every song that is sung, everything we do ought to be bathed in prayer. Paul could have just given them the information and said, that's the end of it. Now you've got all of these facts, do with it what you will. But he does not stop there. He also prays for them. Before we actually look at the details of the prayer, I want to make a few observations. And you'll probably notice as we go through this that I'm going to be in a bit of a struggle because I really need about four or five weeks to go through this one simple short prayer. There is just so much here, but I want to try to condense it all down into one message. But before we do, I want us to just, by way of a general observation, notice some things about this. If anyone prayed, it was Paul. In fact, Paul was known as a man of prayer from the moment of his conversion. You'll remember that when God instructed Ananias to go and to aid the Apostle Paul, he said, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. Wow, he's just been saved and he's already praying. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we were all known for being a person of prayer? 
Because we can't do anything more important than that. And Paul was known to be a man of prayer. I wonder if we will be remembered that way. I, I wonder if our neighbors think of us that way. A person of prayer. But not only did Paul pray, if anyone needed prayer, it was Paul. Remember, he is writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome. And anyone familiar with his story knows that he had gone through a great deal of horrible suffering as a result of his service for God, and yet he never hesitated to ask for the prayers of God's people. I remember as a young preacher especially, I was always a bit embarrassed, I guess you would say, uh, reluctant at least, to ask the people to pray for me. You know, I thought I had to, I, I had to be tough. I had to act like I've got it all together and, you know, I can get by without anybody's prayers and, uh, and didn't take long to realize that none of us are that strong. We all need prayer and certainly Paul needed prayer. But not only that, if anyone cared about people enough to pray for them, it was Paul. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that he cared deeply about the welfare of other people. And when we really care about people, we're going to pray for them. If you don't pray for someone, you don't care about them. I don't care what you say. You can make all the excuses in the world. But if you don't pray for your family, for your friends, for your church, if you don't pray for folks when they're in need, it's simply because you do not care enough about them. So, you might just stop and ask yourself this question, who am I praying for? Paul cared about people, and it shows up in everything he did. As he writes other letters, and I think especially about the last part of the book of Romans, but as he writes these letters and as he comes down to the end, he begins to mention a long list of names and some people, you know, that we've never even heard of and some people that we don't know anything about. But it's obvious that the Holy Spirit directed him to make mention of these people, and he does it for a reason, because people are important, and Paul cared about them. And here, he's expressing his concern by telling them that I am praying for you. Another observation is this, and that is that if anyone understood the need for and the nature of prayer, it was the Apostle Paul. You would be amazed at what you can learn by reading the prayers of Paul. Uh, many years ago, I ran across a book by a fellow by the name of A.W. Pink. I don't remember the name of the book. I don't know if it's still in print. But the entire book had to do with the prayers of Paul. And I, I fell in love with that book and with the and actually with the prayers, and it makes an interesting study. You might want to do that sometime because we can learn a lot about prayer because Paul knew a lot about prayer. Now, whenever we go through this, I want you to notice that Paul is not praying for any new blessings. By that, I mean he's not praying that, uh, that they will get something that they don't have. He's not praying for things in general, but what he prays for through all of this, as you'll see in a little bit, 
is that they will have a better understanding of what they already had. In other words, Paul wanted them to possess their possessions. Remember, in the first part of the chapter, I talked about the fact that he's pointing out who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as God's children, we are rich. He has lavished His grace upon us. We have riches beyond measure. And it's as though Paul is saying to them now, look, you have all of these things by virtue of Christ. Now, I want you to possess what you already have. Several years ago, I read the story about William Randolph Hearst. He was the the famous newspaper publisher, a millionaire, and he had invested a fortune in, in collecting art treasures and from all around the world. And one day he found the description of some valuable items and, and it just began to eat away at him. And he felt like, you know, I've just got to get those things for my collection. So he sends his agent abroad all over the world looking for these these art treasures, and many months went by. This fellow had gone, and he was searching here and searching there, and finally he reports to uh, Mr. Hurst that he has located the treasures and, and come to find out they were in one of his warehouses. He already owned the very treasures he had been frantically looking for. Now, you see, had he simply read a catalog of his treasures, he would have saved himself all of that time, all of that money, and all of that trouble. It already belonged to him, and here he is out there looking for it. And even so, folks, we need to understand who we are and what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to understand our riches, and right here is the catalog, right here is the book. There's no reason why we can't know what we have in Christ. So having looked at all of those things by way of general observation, now I want you to look at the details and actually... There are three parts to this prayer, three things that I want you to notice. First of all, we see Paul's perception. Secondly, we see his petition. And thirdly, we see his proclamation. In verse 15, notice his perception because here he is speaking about what he knew about the people. And so he's writing to those people that he's been praying for, and he seems to sum everything up into two areas. This is what he knew about them. He said that he had heard, he'd learned, and he knew about, number one, their faith in the Lord Jesus. I really wish I had time to just elaborate on that word, wherefore. There's a lot to be said about that. I don't have time to deal with it tonight, but it takes us back to everything that he's been saying. That's a very important word in this statement, wherefore. But getting right to the point, notice here that the people have been talking about the saints at Rome, and one of the things that everybody is talking about is their great faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul has heard about that. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our faith in Christ was so obvious that everybody else was talking about it. 
the people at work, the people in the neighborhood. Just think that if we can conduct ourselves in such a way that the folks here in this neighborhood might say something like this. I'll tell you what, I don't agree with everything the folks down there at Lakeway do, but I'll tell you one thing, they've got a lot of faith in God. That's the way it ought to be. It ought to be something that is obvious, and that's the way it was with these people. And Paul says, I've heard about your faith in God. But secondly, notice, he says, and love unto all of the saints. Now, he's just spoken about their relationship with God. That is their vertical relationship. And now he speaks about the horizontal relationship they have one with the other. May I say that the first always affects the second. When everything is right between us and God, we're going to love other people. And notice that little word, all. Love unto all the saints. That's real important. They didn't love just some of the saints. They loved all of the saints. Listen, that would include a lot of unlovely people. Amen? We've all, you know, there's a little song to dwell up above with the folks that we love. That will be glory. But to live here below with the folks that we know, well, that's another story. And, and that's the way it is. We're not as lovely as we ought to be. And yet these people loved all of the saints. I mean, they didn't have a little click here and a little click there. And they, so they loved all of the people. That's the way the church ought to be. And I tell you, I just cringe, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to be honest, and I, and I see it, and it happens over and over again. Favoritism towards certain people in the church. Don't you tell me it doesn't happen. There'll be some people, I mean, that, and everybody just fawns all over them. There'll be some people that something comes up, an activity or whatever it is, and I mean people just bust the buttons on their britches to, to be there and to do everything, and somebody else, we treat them like a bum off of the street or something. Don't care whether we support what they do or anything else. What a shame that is. We ought to have love for all of the saints. And that includes those that we don't always agree with. And that includes those that even falter and fail at times. We should never quit loving them just because they come short. It's only by the grace of God that it wasn't we who failed instead of, instead of them. They loved all of the saints. So whenever you consider all of this, I look at these two things, and remember Jesus summed up the great responsibility that we have in those two commandments. First, that we love God. Secondarily, that we love our neighbor. And he said, you know, this embraces the entirety of the law and of the prophets. That sums it all up, and it seems like that's exactly what Paul has done here. And so whenever we look at this, we might say something like this. These folks have really got their act together. We might say this church is really a great example and it's important because this shows us that even good people, even successful people, need prayer. Paul could have said, you know, I've heard about your great faith in God. I've heard about your love one for another. You know, and that's really nice. I, I don't need to pray for you folks because you've got it all together. And you see, sometimes we forget 
that everybody needs prayer. We tend to pray for those, you see, that might be failing, and then we turn right around and forget to pray for those that are faithful. And the fact is, we will never meet a person that does not need prayer. Somebody drops out of church and we think we need to pray for them, that they'll be restored, that they'll get back in the fellowship of the Lord's church, and that's so true. But we need to look around and take notice of those that are here every single week, every time the doors are open. They are here. They're in their place. They're making their contribution and they're faithful in every way. I'm telling you, whatever you do, don't forget to pray for those people. And that's what Paul is doing. This great church, people that have faith in God and love for each other, and Paul is praying for them. And this shows his perception. He knows what's going on in the church. Now we look at the petition itself, beginning in verse number 16. And again, let me make these general observations concerning what Paul does. First of all, Paul prayed continually. Look at verse 16. It says, he ceased not. Then Paul stayed thankful. Verse 16 again, to give thanks. Thirdly, notice that he was specific, making mention of you in my prayers. Notice he said, making mention of you in my prayers. He did not say, making mention of you in my prayer request. Are you listening? Sometimes we put people on our prayer list. Sometimes we request prayer for people that we don't ever pray for. Paul says, I didn't just put you on a list. I'm praying for you. And then he understood that only God could provide what they needed. Look at the first part of verse 17, that the God of our Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you. He knew if they were going to get what they needed, that only God could provide it. And then he knew what they needed. He knew exactly what they needed. And that gets us down to the specific request that he makes. What they needed. This is what he's praying for. He begins, verse 17, by praying that they might know God better. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. He wanted for them exactly what the prophet said the people needed back in Jeremiah. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 9. Here's a section that you ought to maybe commit to memory or at least have, have marked in your Bible and read it often. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me. 
that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. We are in the middle of an entire series entitled Knowing God in Sunday School. Knowing God, we never reach the place to where we do not need to know God better. And this is what Paul is talking about. He says, I want you to know God better. Look at the word revelation here, and it needs an explanation, actually. That word means an unveiling, or as one person said, it means taking the lid off. In other words, you take the lid off and you can see what is in the pot. But I say that we need a warning here, and we need it because of the heresy today of those that, that, that speak about revelations from God. Uh, they had this revelation and that revelation, and sort of like Oral Roberts, you know, that God uh, appeared to him, this great big 700-foot-tall Jesus appeared to him and told him to build this multi-million dollar hospital and told him if he didn't raise the money for it, he was going, he was going to take his life. So he said, I've had this revelation from God. Now, he's not the only one guilty of that, by the way. There have been a lot of people guilty of talking about these revelations they have from God. Now, let me tell you something about revelations. We do not need any further revelations. We need illumination. This Bible I have in my hand is the final, full, complete revelation of God to man for this age that we live in today. And so when he uses the word revelation here, he's talking about understanding, and the wisdom speaks about the proper use of that understanding or of that knowledge. And so Paul is saying, look, I want you to realize, I want you to understand these things, and what he wanted for them was what? Notice again, the knowledge of him. That is the knowledge of God. Now, wait a minute. These people already knew God. These people already trusted God. These people already loved God's people. But although you could say all of these things about them, Paul says there's something more. Let me tell you, as long as we are in this world, there is always something more, always something beyond. We never get to the place that we can say that we have finally arrived. This word knowledge here, the knowledge of Him, speaks about a full, perfect a precise knowledge as opposed to another Greek word that means imperfect or partial knowledge. Paul's saying, look, I want you to know God as much as you possibly can. We often sing a little chorus that says, Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. And there's some scriptural justification for that. The word translated understanding here means, listen carefully, that word understanding means the mind as a faculty of understanding, feeling, and desire. In other words, a way of thinking, a way of feeling. And so you can scripturally say that the heart has eyes. Think about that. The heart has eyes. And so when we sing, open the eyes of our heart, Lord, 
we are in perfect harmony with what Paul is saying here. We're praying as it were that God will open the eyes of our heart. And the sad thing is too many folks are blinded to the glorious truths of God's Word. That's why the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of God. They cannot understand them because they're foolishness unto them. So the unsaved man's not going to understand the Word of God. But God's people can. Now remember, Solomon said all of the issues of life proceed from the heart. And so none of these issues in our life can change until what? Until the eyes of our heart have been opened. Until then, we're going to walk in darkness. We need the eyes of our heart open that we might know, that is, that we might perceive, that we might notice, that we might discern, that we might discover. And, and what does he want? Notice he says that they might know the hope of his calling. The hope of his calling. But what in the world does that mean? He says, I want you to know the hope of His calling, speaking about God's calling. Remember, hope is always associated with the future. When we talk about faith, we're talking about our present attitude toward God's promises. We're talking about trust, that we're trusting God as it were for the moment. There is a word that Paul uses in the book of Romans in chapter number 6, that speaks about our faith in things of the past, and that is the word reckon. And you'll remember he says, reckon yourselves to be dead unto sin, but alive unto God. That word reckon simply implies and, and simply shows our faith in what has happened in the past. So in the past, we think of it as reckon. In the present, it is faith, but in the future, it is hope. It is hope. Hope always relates to the future. And he's saying here, I want you to understand, I want you to know to the fullest possible extent the hope of his calling. So it's associated with the future and the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I think what Paul is saying is, I want you to live in the awareness of the glory to come. Now, why would Paul say something like that? Well, I think I know. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he's just cataloged the great difficulties of his life. And he's mentioned the fact that he, he had been troubled in verse 8, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. He's at the point of death every moment. But then he tells us that he did not quit. Verse 16 for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, the inward man is renewed day by day. Now listen, if you want to know how Paul kept going when things got tough, here it is. He says, for our light affliction. Let me tell you, whatever you're going through, heart disease, cancer, divorce, bankruptcy, Whatever it is that you're going through right now is just a light affliction when you compare it with what's to come. I know, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, how dare you? You're trying to minimize my problems. No, I'm trying to get you to look at the big picture. There's a lot more to it than just what you're going through. He says, our light affliction 
which is but for a moment, worketh for us, not against us, it's working for us, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now here it is, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Paul is saying that the way that I survived was to keep my sights on that which is yet to come. Paul knew what it took to keep going. That's why he's praying for them, praying that God will open the eyes of their heart that they might see, they might know, they might understand the hope of His calling, that future glory that He's prepared for us. But He doesn't stop there. He moves on in verse number 18. He also prays that they might know the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. Now, be careful there. Pay close attention to exactly the way that phrase is worded. Did you notice that he does not speak here about our inheritance? He's speaking about God's inheritance. God has an inheritance. Where is it? In His saints. Let that sink in. I mean, this is absolutely amazing. It's mind-boggling. God thinks of us, in other words, and considers us to be so precious to Him that He considers us to be His inheritance. Imagine that. It's reminding us of how greatly God loves us. In the book of Malachi, in chapter 3, and verse number 17, the Lord said, They are, will be mine in the day that I make up my jewels. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of jewels, I'm thinking about precious stones and things that are of great value. And if you've got jewels, you keep watch over them, right? I mean, you take care of things like that. Why? Because they're expensive, they're valuable, they're meaningful to you. Do you understand that God is calling His people His jewels? These are my jewels. We are His inheritance. The next time you get to thinking about poor little old me and I'm just a nobody and nobody cares anything about me, I want you to stop and remember what we're talking about tonight. God says, you are my inheritance. And Paul is saying to this church, it's kind of like Paul is saying, look, I've been telling you how rich you are in Christ. You need to think about God's inheritance, that God loves you so much that He considers you to be His inheritance. But He doesn't stop there. He goes on, and in verse number 19, he prays here that they might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward. Notice, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power. I need a whole sermon on that one verse there. It's so exciting. 
Christians are called to live a miracle. We are called upon to live a life that is humanly impossible, and nobody could be in more desperate need of power than we are, and that power comes only from God. And he says, I want you to understand, and notice the superlatives that he's using here. I I think that's what they are. He says, notice the exceeding greatness of his power to usward. I mean, listen... This is way, way, way out of the ordinary, Paul is saying. And I want you to know about this exceeding great power that is available to you. The same power that was active in the creation, the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead. He's simply saying, I want you to know, understand, realize the greatness of the power that is within you. Don't ever minimize the importance of the Spirit's indwelling in your life. Without, Jesus said, without Him we could do what? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, we come down to the proclamation. And, and, and again, I, I need about two or three hours here in these closing verses. And I'm going to try to sum it all up in five minutes or so. But listen carefully. Now, I say that this is the proclamation, and I want to read it. But remember, although this is a proclamation, it's still part of the prayer. It's just not the petition. In other words, he's made the petition. Remember, he started out, he expressed his perception. In other words, he let it be known what he knew about the people. Then he petitioned God on behalf of the people that they might know and understand these things. And notice the proclamation that he makes now, which he wrought in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul wants us to see the greatness of the power that is available. And how does he do that? To explain the greatness of God's power, notice that he uses the example of Jesus himself. And he shows us how God's power was manifested in the life of Christ. And we need to think about it this way. That same power that raised up Jesus from the dead, etc. The same power that enabled him to work all of those miracles. That same power resides in every child of God. And because that's true, it gives us potential far beyond anything that we could ever do on our own, probably beyond anything that we could ever even imagine. There should not be one Christian leave here discouraged tonight. Whenever you think about facing the difficulties of life, understand that this great power, the person of the Holy Spirit, is actively working in your life to accomplish the will of God. What 
and awesome prayer this is. Praying for these people facing very difficult times. You know, sometimes we murmur about our petty problems here in the age that we live in, and sometimes it does get tough. We live here in America where we've got wonderful freedom to worship God as we please. And we can assemble on a night such as this, and we can sing praises to God and read His Word and fellowship one with another. We are so privileged when at the same time around the world there are Christian people that are hated and persecuted and some even martyred because of their stand for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this age in which Paul lived, it was a very, very difficult time. If you don't think you can make it today, I wonder how you would have felt had you been living in that day. Would you have become a deserter, maybe? Would you have decided that it would be better to compromise than to risk the loss of my life? And throughout his ministry, Paul gave us living proof that mortal man can indeed live the miracle of the Christian life if he's willing to depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to get it done. That's what Paul did. That's why he could say things like, I've learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. That's why he could say that he rejoiced. That is, he took pleasure in all of his afflictions. And I think about what Paul did, and I think about his attitude as it's expressed in his writings, and then I look at my life and I immediately come to the conclusion that, boy, oh boy, do I ever have a long way to go. I'm nowhere near where he was. Don't you see, this is exactly what Paul is wanting for this church. Wanting them to understand how rich they are in Christ and what their great potential is as a result of the Holy Spirit living, residing in them, empowering them to do what is humanly impossible. We, now you can go to sleep on this, If we do the will of God, if we do our best to do what we know God wants us to do, regardless of what difficulties and obstacles that we face, we never need fear of whether or not we'll be successful. I mean, listen, we can go through any storm, we can overcome any enemy, we can win any battle, we can accomplish any task that God gives us to do if if we rely upon the Holy Spirit to empower us to get the job done. Paul said, I know about you people. You've got great faith in God. And not only that, because you've got great faith in God, you all love each other. So wonderful. But, I'm going to pray that God will open the eyes of your heart so that you can see that you've still got a long, long ways to go. And if you're here tonight and maybe you think to yourself, well, I've been saved a lot of years and I've studied hard and I'm faithful, I've pretty much arrived. I 
No, listen. I want you to know you might have a lot of faith in God. You might love people. You might be successful in every area seemingly. But you've still got a long, long ways to go. Just as I do. And we need to pray that God will open the eyes of our heart. That we'll realize the potential that we have as a result of the person of the Holy Spirit. We are saved. We are sealed. We are secure. And as we look at all of this tonight, again I say, we can be satisfied with that, knowing that He can meet every need we have. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, thank You for Your rich blessings. How we thank You for the promises. Promises that are exceeding great and precious. Lord, may we claim those tonight. May we not be so foolish as to live beneath our privileges. Help us to understand who we are in Christ. In Christ, we are your inheritance. Lord, I don't understand that. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. All of the things in the universe belong to You. And yet more valuable than all of those things, You consider Your people to be Your inheritance. Help us to rejoice in knowing who we are, what we have in Christ. For we ask it in His name. As we stand tonight and sing, I don't know what God might be saying to your heart. I will say this. As Christina comes, Christina Garcia received the Lord here several weeks ago and been thinking about baptism, and she's decided tonight is the night. Amen. Had to work this morning. She couldn't be here, but she's here tonight. And I I don't know about you, but you're all in favor of that, aren't you? Let me see your hand. And we'll ask Christina, if she will, to come and to go on to the dressing room and prepare for that. But maybe you're here tonight and maybe you forgot about just how special you are to God. Maybe you forgot about all you have in Christ and you don't have to say anything to me. You just want to, maybe you want to just sit down where you're at and bow your head and say, well, Lord, thank you for reminding me of all I have in Christ while we sing. I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Out of weakness watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. See left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. All right, you may be seated.